Welcome back, kids, to the Psychotronic FM Halloween show. This is Chili Billy. It's station 66.6. Ghouls, werewolves, vampires, ghosties with the mosties. You guys ready for tonight? It's Halloween, or as we like to call it, Hell Hollows Eve. We continue down this dark and dusty road on the night when the space between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. You're, uh, kind of old if you're treated. I want you to call in with your scariest ideas, your deepest fears, your spookiest nightmares, so I can twist the knife into your stories. Can you dig it? Let me make it up to you. Got the really good candy. Hey, Bill, we got a caller on the line that wants to know what your biggest fear is. My biggest fear? Mm hmm. The dark. This is going to be awesome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, trick-or-treaters. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, Mike. The closer we get to Halloween, the better a mood I'm in, so that's always helpful. <laughs> yeah, man, it's... what we, We're trending towards the end of September now, so it... You know, out where we are, it's it's just showing signs of, like, summer letting up a little bit now. Like, um, the weather is still probably warmer than most places, but... Oh, yeah. Now, with football start, it's like the signs are there, but, you know, the first month of the NFL season out here just feels weird because it's like, why are they playing football at 95 degrees? Hey, but, <laughs> you should try L.A. The weather doesn't break here until December. We, we get like two months of winter, and our quote-unquote winter is 60-degree weather with rain. <laughs> That's our winter in L.A. <laughs> yeah, it's it's roughly that here, too. I mean, once it gets to, you know, your whatever your high for the day is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just how it is. Winter is not really winter. Uh <laughs> Joining us, as always, as well, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Um, yeah, uh, I can officially confirm both of Venom's statements. Uh, not doing too bad, but getting better with uh, the approachment of Halloween, which I, like, with him uh, raises my spirits a little. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the 60-degree winter with uh, rain for two months, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. The whole reason I moved out here. I never want to see snow again, ever. <laughs> oh? Yeah, I, I drive by it sometimes if I head up like to northern, northern California. Oh, I can, but otherwise, yeah. I, yeah, I can see, see it on the mountains if I squint really hard, but uh, <laughs> I'm not outside often enough for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last time I saw snow in person, I think is when I did a disc golf tournament in Reno 
uh, we we were driving over there like towards the tail end of winter, and you had to go through like the mountains to get into Reno, and it's kind of cool, you know. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, remind you that snow is a real thing. <laughs> <sighs> now, if only they could turn into water, because that's what we really need. Here. <laughs> yeah, really. That, that's the story. That, that's our story every year. The too, yeah. much, too much fire, not enough water. Yeah. All right. Well, this, I guess you could almost consider like this the first quote unquote Halloween movie of the season, not as in the franchise Halloween, but just like a Halloween themed movie. So I was somewhat excited going into it. Will that excitement remain afterwards? I don't know. But the movie is Bad Candy. I believe this is a Dread Central Presents movie. And uh, let's see, synopsis, on a Halloween night in New Salem, radio DJs Chili Billy, played by Corey Taylor of Slipknot fame, and Paul, played by Zach Galligan, so two recognizable names there, tell a twisted anthology of terrifying local myths that led to a grim end for small town residents. I guess it's not really too much of a spoiler if it's a horror movie that some people met a grim end, so I'll... I'm okay with it. <laughs> Other than they're not both DJs, but you know, it's a, it's a minor gripe. Yeah. Paul's technically the engineer. Chili Billy's the DJ, but you know, whatever. Not a big deal. Eh, close enough. I don't think most people are going to know the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually come from a radio background, so it was one of the glaring things when I first read the synopsis, but obviously not, a, not, not a deal breaker by any stretch. Yeah. I guess the bigger question, which will, get to as we go through the movie i guess is did the uh viewers of the movie made a grim end over. Uh, <laughs> but anyways we'll start with some general thoughts so venom what did you think of bad candy man uh before i get into my general thoughts um this was a movie that i that i really really wanted to see what other people thought about uh, as I'm putting my thoughts together. So I went uh, I went online, I checked out a bunch of reviews. Man, the reviews for this movie are absolutely all over the place. I ran into run, one review that gave, gave it a 9 out of 10 and said it was one of the most fun horror anthologies they've ever experienced. And then a couple of reviews later, I read one that gave it a 1 out of 10 and actually, in exact words, called it stupid garbage. So yeah, the reviews are all over the place for this. I'm going to come in somewhere in the middle, but closer to the negative side. Um, this is a very, very disjointed uh, anthology. Um, it kind of goes with the trick-or-treat style of anthology where all the stories take place on Halloween night in the same town. And all the characters from all the individual segments kind of cross paths uh, periodically throughout the film. So, you know, we, we have a major trick-or-treat aesthetic. Um, as far as the good, and unfortunately there's not going to be a whole lot for me to go over with the good, but, uh, the cinematography looked really nice. This is a, this is a very independent low budget film, but I thought, especially in the first act, they did a lot to try to make it not look so cheap with their cinematography. Some of the lighting choices in the movie are really nice, whereas others are fairly terrible. There's a couple of scenes in the movie that are just lit just ungodly terribly and then there's other scenes uh, especially some of the outdoor stuff that actually are lit really nice with the pumpkins you know with the lit pumpkins shining in the background blah 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 um 
Ah oh, man, <laughs> I'm trying to think of more positives. Um, let me before before I get into any more positives, let me let me try to break the film down a little bit in a non-spoiler way. Um, the first half of this movie is incredibly confusing because it comes off like a rapid fire series of morality tales, and they all basically have the same arc. Somebody does something bad, um, somebody shows up to punish them. Boom, that's the segment. No character development, no arcs, no beginning, middle, end, just very rapid succession. I mean, I think they're anywhere from five to 15 minutes. I, I'd say the one in the mortuary is probably the longest one because we have to watch this girl do bad things for a, a little bit longer than some of the other segments. Before well, you gets... call them bad things. I call them something else. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it is definitely subjective. I'll give you that. Um but yeah, like I said, the first half of the movie, you're just kind of scratching your head wondering what the hell is going on. Because like I said, just rapid fire morality tales and just one after another. Um, like I said, the connective tissue here is just the fact that, you know, characters kind of come in and out of different segments. It takes place in the same town. A lot of these people know each other or know of each other. Obviously, Chili Billy and Paul at the radio station are kind of popular characters in the town. Uh, they get a lot of people calling throughout the night, making requests for certain scary stories, things like that. Um, but then the second half of the film is where I feel it started to actually get some traction. It started to actually grow some legs, if you will. Um, the second to last story, which I, I just call the Lenny story. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, actually is really fun. It's, it's, it's odd. I mean, pretty much every segment in this movie is odd, but at least it's fun. There is a, there is a narrative there. There is a beginning, middle, and an end to that story. And there's even a pretty cool looking creature for whatever it's worth. I thought the creature design on Lenny, uh, was pretty cool. Uh, and then we get the final segment and what this movie does, and this seems to be kind of the trend with modern horror anthologies is that they kind of, they try to incorporate the final segment into the wraparound. If you guys remember, Scare Package did it. Um, the Mortuary Collection also recently did it, where they try to where where the final segment kind of melds into the wraparound and to to create the big finale for the movie. So uh, we get a little bit of that here. Um, I've seen it done more effectively in uh, the other movies that I mentioned. Um, but yeah, like I said, this movie is a head scratcher, you know, um, it it feels like a lot of different directors. Ultimately, there are only two directors on this film credited on the film, Scott Hansen and Desiree uh, Connell. But man, does it feel a lot of times like the cinematography in one segment will look really nice, but then suddenly it won't look as nice in the next segment or the editing, editing especially, I notice. From segment to segment, I, I checked and it's the same person who edited the whole film, but for some reason, certain segments are edited in a different style that's almost jarring at times. Like, if it would have been a separate director for each individual segment, I think we would have accepted it a little bit more, but because it's just two directors for the whole film and one editor, it, it feels like there should have been a little bit uh, more continuity to it in its filmmaking, so... Yeah, th that was kind of weird. Um, like I said, the lighting, uh, same thing. In some scenes, it looks great. In other scenes, it looks awful. Um, the acting, unfortunately, I there's not really much positive I can say about the acting in this film. Um, you know, you've got some low-rent uh, genre, I, I, can't, I can't even say favorites, but at least the people that we recognize 
Um, I instantly recognized Derek Russo, uh, who was the big guy. He played Vince in this film. Uh, I recognized him right away from the Creepshow uh, holiday special from last year, the Christmas edition, uh, where he plays, I think he played Krampus, actually, if I remember correctly. But it's been a while since I've seen that segment. But it's nice to see him again. He's always a very... Uh, large presence. I mean, and, and that sounds like a pun, but I mean, he he does come off as a larger than life presence in a lot of the movies that he's in. He comes off a little bit more comical in this one. He tries to be funny. Um, him and his friends are all drinking, having fun while doing the nefarious the nefarious things that they're doing. So, you know, uh, like I said, that's moder- uh, moderately enjoyable, but ultimately the acting here, meh. I mean, the highlight is probably going to be our radio station personnel, you know, Zach Galligan from the uh, the Gremlins movies playing Paul the Engineer. And then, of course, Corey Taylor playing Chili Billy, Um, you know, nice, uh, uh, nice homage to the original Chili Billy from out in Pittsburgh, even though this movie takes place in New Salem, Massachusetts. That's not that far away from Pittsburgh, honestly. But uh, yeah, nice homage there. Ah, man, um, there's not really going to be a whole lot of positive things that I can really, you know, pull out of this thing because it is a very independent project. Like as you're watching it, it just screams indie film, low budget. Some of the effects are okay, though. I will fully say that one of the segments in the first half of the movie, one of the quick morality tales, in my opinion, is absolutely ruined by an over the top full CG kill that literally I was laughing at. Like, like they were building some good tension, some good suspense in that segment. But then literally as soon as that kill occurs and and it's a drawn out kill, it's not a quickie. Like they, they literally sit there in all of its CGI glory for, you know, a good five to ten seconds. And it's just it's laughable at times. A movie with a budget this short or this low probably shouldn't be relying on CG for a lot of their effects. I understand that CG is probably cheaper than practical in a lot of aspects, but Man, if you can't do it right, just don't do it. Um, and that was a really good segment. Like, I was really into that segment. This was the, That was the segment with the little girl and her father. I, I liked that segment as we were getting to the end. But then, ah, that kill just ruins, you know, all the good faith that was built in the first part of that segment. So I'm just going to, I'm going to try to cut off my general thoughts here and just say that this is a very flawed um, horror movie anthology. It's It's still mildly fun. Because it is, um, you know, it's an anthology. Uh, they, they try to throw in some comedy here and there, uh, some decent kills here and there. There is some practical effects in the movie, but not much. Um, I will say, if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago when we reviewed The Old Ways, I talked about how harsh I am when I review um, demonic possession films because it's my favorite subgenre. I'm going to be the complete opposite on this film. I really like Halloween horror anthologies. Uh, I look at them like a fun size candy bar. It's a quick, you know, it's just a quick fix. Uh, and, and the nice thing about anthologies is if you don't like the story that you're currently in, you've got more stories to come. So you may find something that you like. So I tend to be really, really forgiving with these kinds of movies because for the most part, I still find a lot of them fun, even like the really, really um, subpar horror anthologies. I still try to, I, I still generally pull out some positives out of it, but this one, like I said, it, it's kind of hard to pull out a lot of positives, especially for the first half of the film 
where on first watch, I think most viewers are just going to be scratching their head wondering what the hell's going on? Who is that clown? What, you know, how did this, how does this all connect? Blah, blah, blah. It's like we get all our answers in the second half of the film. But by then, I think a lot of people have already kind of signed off on the film and just been like, or wrote it off and are just like, nah, screw this. So, yeah. Uh, a very flawed horror anthology, but again, if you're into anthologies, I would still give it a mild recommend, but mild is about as strong as I can come in with that one. That's it for me, Mike. Okay, Don, Bad Candy, uh, what did you think? All right, um, so uh, much like Venom, I am a huge, uh, huge anthology fan. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite subgenres, so... I, I was also really looking forward to this, and I couldn't agree more. This one was really disjointed, but it, it's oddly for different reasons. See, I actually enjoyed the first few segments of this. I thought the morality tales were <laughs> incredibly fun. And, um, the first two, which I believe were, um, if I'm if I'm getting if my memory is correct, uh, the first two was the one where the daughter brings the creatures to life against her abusive stepfather. I, and yeah. the, and then the second one is the, uh, kid is the, uh, disrespectful trick or treater who gets uh comeuppance with the clown. Exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah. Those were my, those were the two that I was really kind of enjoying. And I was kind of like, okay, I can see where I can kind of like this. I can appreciate the approach because they both had that same, they both had the, you know, Halloween, mm-hmm. both deck, you know, wall-to-wall jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins and, you know, <laughs> decorations and trick-or-treaters blaring all over the place. I, I was really into it. And it was kind of building up this cool concept with these demonic clowns as being morality guardians, like mm-hmm. uh, Sam from Trick or Treat. I was really kind of digging the approach of, like, subtly using them as, like, harbingers of Halloween traditions and just treating, you know, like, forcing people to be good. Um... And it was kind of dropped over the next couple of segments for some, you know, a couple of the other segments. They didn't really go for that approach, like the one with the skeevy guy at the club or the drug the dealer. girl. Yeah, at, yeah the, the drug dealer at the club. And then the other one was the um, the girl in the more. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, I enjoyed for other reasons. <laughs> uh, I was legitimately attracted during the uh, necromantics necromancy scenes for those of you that were curious so uh that was the whole point of the uh, chiming in earlier on venom's comment um yeah that was really enjoyable i kind of enjoyed that but uh yeah it was kind of dropping the morality angle for what was going on so that was kind of like okay what's going on like that was like the start of the the disjointedness in the segments and then we get the last two segments the one with the rideshare dealer who has more going on than he's letting on mm-hmm. and then there's the haunted house investigation that you know ties into the beginning of it yeah uh the first two segments like i said were really drawing me in i was really enjoying them the next two i liked but they were like decidedly less and then the third the last two segments it was kind of like okay what the hell's going on because it seemed as though they were dropping the entire. I I, I had fun with the the fifth the main the big segment the one with the hunting party. I had 
fun with it, but it was mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, what the hell is going on? Because my whole thing was that the entire se- the, the segments were reenactments of the radio s- of the stories that the DJ was telling over the mm-hmm. radio. Mm-hmm. Like that was the whole thing that I was going on, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, wait a second, hold on, the actions in the story are interfering with the actions taking place at the at the radio house, and it was like, well, wait, aren't they, you know, aren't they telling what's going on? Because it cuts back and forth between him and the studio, and then it cuts to the, you know, the action taking place in the story, and it's like, well, wait, hold on, I thought this was the whole gimmick of the film, you know, the the DJs telling stories and then what's going on is, you know, the stories that we see are the, the segments are, are the reenactments of the story. So that was kind of the, yeah, what was going on. And then the last two segments, I had no clue what the hell happened with those. So yeah, um, it kind of left a sour taste. Um, so it was kind of just like this disjointed feeling that kind of overwhelmed me at the, final half of the film but yeah um overall i would say it's not the worst one uh worst anthology out there uh, uh i would personally prefer the the other two you mentioned scare package and mortuary collection i think those two are yeah. miles better than this so i would seek those out instead of this one and if you're looking for like a more modern anthology Mm-hmm. And uh while we're on this topic, I am just getting so fucking sick and tired of this club ever ass been the this stupid ass way of doing anthologies. Let's just go back to the creep show thing of getting twenty minute segments, yeah, tying everything together and just being done with it i i I want that thing again. I don't like this let's trying to be clever. let's try to you know tie everything. Mm-hmm. In the, Everybody's doing it now, so you're not being clever. Be unique and go back to the old ways of doing it. Exactly. So, yeah, that's my rant on anthologies. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and also to uh, kind of tie into a meta joke that nobody but the, the three of us are ever going to know, Corey Taylor should not quit his day job. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my closing statement. What's funny is that. I didn't think Corey did a terrible job, but he wasn't acting. He was Corey yeah. Taylor. He was basically Chili Billy was Corey. So right. it's like, yeah, well, that, not really acting. So whatever. And there, there's no like, I mean, he could have been played by anybody. Like there was no real special yeah. significance to him. I mean, yeah. if you're going to do that, you know, have a Slipknot song play over the ending credits or even a Stone song. Power song. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, like it's, justify his presence. I it's mean, like, it's like someone dropped out at the last second and he was in between tour dates and they're just like, hey, want to do some uh, voice? That work? sounds valid too because I feel like that role should have been played by a horror, maybe not a horror legend, but at least someone that we're familiar with, you know, a Danielle Harris, a, a Clancy Brown, you know, whatever the case, obviously Clancy just did one, but you know what I mean. But someone, it, yeah, because I mean, you know, Zach Gallagher and Corey Taylor, that. That's just an odd pairing. For, I didn't even know that like, was you know, Zach Gallagher until the credits. I'm like, holy shit, that was Billy? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, like you said, uh, there was no reason for that to be Corey Taylor because that yeah. that could have been just absolutely anybody. So did they have any? Did they have any Gremlins references that I missed? Because yeah, they did. Yeah, oh, they they did, yeah. Because on I was the, gonna say, yeah, because the they intro, definitely had references. Because the ne- Necronomicon got a little shot yeah. at the beginning. No, there was the beginning because he says, "All you boys and ghouls, all you gremlins and ghouls, ghosts." Oh, uh, right. Yeah. And also, 
uh, Elm Street is referenced too. Yeah, because that's that's in the the op- the intro of the thing. I mean, yep. And it was so weird that it was because they're panning from him. They're panning from Paul in the booth to Billy on the mic when he says gremlins and ghouls. Yeah. So it was a dis. I I was actually kind of shocked that you had to ask that because I thought that was just pointedly obvious because they they're panning in from outside for, to him on the radio and then they start in on him and he says gremlins and ghouls and they pan away from him in the booth to Corey at the mic so it's like okay yeah i got it yeah, yeah if i'd have known that was billy i would have caught that <laughs> it was probably just a piece of dialogue i had forgotten about by the end of it but um as far as my general thoughts go mostly in line with what venom said i mean i was uh i was kind of waiting to see what you guys would list as the positives because other Real, other than what Venom said, the only thing I was going to add, which is now Don already kind of said, um, I thought they did a pretty good job at using the holiday of Halloween. Like it's not, it's not one of those movies where it's like takes place on around Halloween, but there's not much Halloweenishness to it. Like this one, clearly they made an effort to um, show that hey, it's Halloween yeah. and there's Halloween festivities going on. There's you know it. It's all around in the movie, so yeah, it definitely <laughs> it definitely looked like a spirit Halloween vomited all over the set. Yeah, <laughs> um, plastic skeletons and pumpkins and spiders and cobwebs, fucking everywhere. I think the only segment that didn't have a Halloween aesthetic all over it was uh, the mortuary, the you know the morgue, whatever. Yeah, other otherwise yeah. couldn't escape the Halloween aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, and then to I think a point you guys both kind of touched on that I'll just add to the whole you know I guess I guess we'll call it like a modern style since Trick or Treat did it with the kind of blending of characters a little crossover to the stories. I don't have a problem with movies doing it, but you uh, at least try to be clever about it. Like just simply having characters show up in other stories and stuff like that gotta do more than that like um what else could i say about this it's probably too long for what's yeah for what they have to offer um as far as what like an hour 45 or like something like like that just just a tick under yeah um if we're considering the first story uh, the cold open i don't know because the 20 te- minute cold open <laughs> yeah t- technically it happened before the title card came up right. but it feels like a full-on story so i don't even know what you would consider that but i think we got two segments actually before the title card yeah so we, got, we got the kid and the dad yeah it, it might have been <laughs> um it, i guess you know i didn't want to get too specific in general thoughts but i'll just you, I kind of have to like point to a certain story. I, th- I think it might be the one Don was talking about, uh, the one where the daughter's conjuring up stuff to defend. Her. I don't conceptually, I don't mind it. You know, it's kind of like a classic tale in horror, sci-fi, or that that kind of stuff where someone has the uncanny ability that when they draw something or think something, it comes to life. In theory, no issue with that type of story you know i know it's going to show up all the time especially anthologies it seems like that's the right kind of format Mm -hmm. for that the problem is when you know going into a movie you have very scarce resources to put into your effects 
don't just like take it to a computer and yeah. like people who have been like listening to my rants for years i'm not a fan i'm not you know cgi i could do without whether it's the cheap kind expensive kind or whatnot some places it, it's okay I, I don't ever want to say it's necessary but i understand at least now it's usage at times but if you're making indie films i would much rather just do whatever practical you can we know going into it like you know it's not like you have the money to hire savini or rick baker to make these elaborate cool monsters but trust me anything is better than looking at something like it's from like a 90s desktop computer like there's just no reason to do that I, i don't understand and i think it it hurts like a story that actually was okay, I would say, you know. Um, and a, a story you fully expect. You know you know exactly mm-hmm. how it's going to go, and it was okay. But then I think even that first little monster she conjures up is okay looking because it looks somewhat practical. Oh, but the plush doll? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was okay with that. But then I'm as sure. the story goes on and the, we get start getting, I'm just like, okay, they're going way beyond their means here, and it shows because they, I, I'm just like, this looks terrible and it brought down a segment that i thought was an okay open to it you know oh but, great yeah, yeah nice. i don't want to get any more specific to stories until we sure get into spoilers but yeah overall man there the problem with this a lot i don't even know what's the problem with this one inside but yeah there's just too many better options out there for, for uh horror anthologies luckily this, this came this, with this coming out last week it had a short theatrical run out here in la and then it hit vod like at the end of last week um i think the only advantage is just that they kind of jumped the gun they're gonna they're gonna be one of the first new halloween movies out this season so people like like me because i i'll fully admit i'm the one who wanted to do this movie because i love my anthologies and I didn't think that we would be getting horror, new Halloween horror anthologies this early in the year. But since we did, I said, screw it, let's do it. I don't mind starting Halloween early. But yeah, uh, that's about the only advantage that they're going to have is that they kind of jump the gun. Because that once people see this, um, I can't imagine the word of mouth is really going to help th- its sales. On top of the fact that this movie is six ninety nine on VOD. That's a lot for an independent movie. The, a rental is six ninety nine. That's kind of Hollywood movies come out and they're like four ninety nine to rent. So how this is six ninety nine is beyond me. I know they're trying to recoup their money because this is probably the only way they're going to do it. But it's like once the reviews come out, no one's going to pay six ninety nine. I love the tagline on the box: "Trick or treat, you're dead." I'm like, well, <laughs> is that just a straight rip off of houses? Ding dong, yep. you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's very uninspired. But, yeah, I, I think to your point, yeah, they, they kind of got in before we the floodgates of, like, new Halloween stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hits, and I, that's probably a smart idea. Because I think a lot of it, a lot of it is going to come out of Netflix because I've read a lot of the summaries of what's coming out. And I think a lot of them are going to have, like, Halloween atmosphere nice. up the wazoo. So. Yep. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of stuff rolling out, so. Anyways, I don't have much more for general thoughts. Um, so yeah. if you guys are cool, Venom, you can kick off the spoiler section. 
I mean, obviously, it's an anthology. Uh, we already talked about the wraparound. It's it's Chili Billy and his engineer Paul at a radio station. It's Psychotronic FM sixty six point six, which isn't a real FM frequency, but whatever. We'll we'll allow it to pass. Um, obviously, Corey is uh, you know plays Chili Billy, Corey Taylor. He's telling it's it's Halloween night, and basically they have a, a tradition of just telling scary stories uh, over the over the airwaves on Halloween night. So that's how we kind of start to get our stories. Um, our first segment, I think the first one was the one with the little kid. Uh, basically, we're, we're introduced to a group of young kids um, who we'll see in various segments throughout the movie, you know, uh, uh, later on. Um, but, you know, we're introduced to a bunch of young kids. They, uh, throughout their uh, evening of trick-or-treating and going to parties and whatnot, they run into, you know, uh, a Halloween hater, a little kid, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 years old. Who's basically, you know, giving them shit, stealing candy, smashing pumpkins, you know, just generally disrespecting the holiday, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we get a clown, uh, just some random clown, no rhyme or reason. And the clown basically uh, just turns the kid into a doll, like a little toy, basically. Kind no, of like, I, I think uh-huh. that's the second. Is that, second. I mean, the first like one. I said, I don't think it matters, and honestly, the order of these things. But I, I could have sworn the little kid was first because I remember thinking, "Wow, what a way to start the movie! We're, we're the killing kids." The first one kids. is the one with the daughter and the and the stepdad. Um, okay, I mean, I mean, if it is cool, because yeah, for some reason, I for some reason I thought the girl was still walking home during the little kid segment. While while he was going around smashing pumpkins, I thought she was on her way home. Uh, you know, like I said, doesn't matter. It's not going to help or hinder this movie in any way, shape or form. Um, so, like I said, we get that segment with the kid. Um, does he deserve what he got? Eh, you could make the argument. You could make the argument that a lot of people in this movie don't deserve their fates. Um, I, I, I can't imagine uh, giving drugs away at a party is really worth murdering someone. But, you know, whatever. We'll We'll get to that when we get to it. So, you know, that's one of our segments. And then. Um, the first good segment of the movie, the one that was moderately enjoyable, uh, is this a little girl. Um, she was one of the group of young kids that we met early in the, earlier in the movie. She's dressed as a witch. Um, she's basically uh, out without her father's permission. Her, her mother has passed away. We don't know how or why. But mom is gone. Dad is obviously alcoholic, abusive, blah, blah, blah. He hates Halloween. Uh, he's been calling his daughter all night, leaving like 10 you know, messages on her cell phone. Uh, when he finally catches up to her, he's basically driving around the city looking for her. When he finally finds her, he picks her up, tells her that she's grounded, takes her home. You know, your general thing, um, you know, general setup there with the abusive step parent. I don't know if it's a step parent or a real dad, but whatever. Um, and then we find out that she has the ability to draw things that will come to life. Anything that she draws comes to life. Uh, it's a cool little effect, uh, like a, a purple light kind of shines from the pad, very color out of space. And, um, and then the creature, whatever it is that she drew will come to life. And uh, at the beginning of the segment, she draws a fairy probably one of the most evil looking fairies I've ever seen. It's a little tiny fairy about the size of Tinkerbell, but this thing has got like demonic eyes. It's got horns and it's got sharp teeth. 
Um, it's not aggressive, mind you. It still acts like a fairy, you know, flying around, entertaining the little girl, blah, 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 because she's now locked in her room, not allowed to go out. So she's basically drawing her own friends. Then she draws the monster that I called the plush toy earlier, because, well, basically that is what he is. Uh, she draws this little monster. He's like maybe a foot tall, uh, claws, teeth. Um, he, he actually has somewhat of a terrifying face, but the mere fact that it's a plush toy makes it look adorable. And um, and when the toy comes to life, you know, it, it's it's playing nicely with the girl. Um, like I said, the fairy, the fairy, once the fairy realizes that the girl is locked in her room from the outside, the fairy actually flies under the door to try to undo the lock. While... Um, the girl is just kind of being entertained, you know, by the 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 doll, the the monster that she created. Uh, eventually, Dad is able to get back into the room, and he ends up squishing the fairy, uh, very messy, just squishes it right up against the wall, and he ends up kicking uh, the little monster until basically it stops moving. Uh, the little girl gets really, really upset, and she starts to draw something. Now, obviously, I think, as most viewers would probably think, she's probably going to draw some kind of monster or something to take her dad out. But what she actually draws is her mother, and it's actually a beautiful picture. She draws a very nice, beautiful picture of her mother. But when the but when the picture comes to life, it's not the mom in living form. It's like her uh, ghost or her specter, if you will. And you can tell that dad or stepdad must have been responsible for her death in some way because she just instantly attacks dad. And then this is where we get just the awful, awful CG kill where basically she does like a soul drain thing where she opens her mouth and her eyes and mouth uh, glow. And you can see like they're pulling in like his life force or you might even call it blood. It, it looks so bad. I couldn't tell you what it was supposed to be. But yeah, I mean, it's literally like cartoony CGI. It looks bad for 1991, let alone 2021. So yeah, this is what I mean with this segment. Um, you know, we're all on board for it. It was entertaining. We're all ready for the dad to meet his comeuppance. And then we get that awful CG kill. So yeah. And, and that's another uh, short one. That's another like 10 minute segment down the drain. So we're already two segments in, then we get our title card. So like I said, a 20 minute cold open for this movie. Pretty interesting. Um, and then we start getting more shots of the clown. Now the clown. Let's talk about the clown a little bit. Uh, I didn't know really what to think of the clown because I thought the design of the clown was kind of cool. The problem is there was no articulation to the face. So it basically looks like a really good mask. And that bothered me, especially later in the film when we actually find out where the clown came from. I won't spoil that yet, but, you know, later on we'll find out. Even once we get that reveal, it's like it doesn't make sense that this clown has no articulation in the face. It's an awesome mask. I mean, it's very creepy looking. Um, I, I don't think it's on the poster, but if you see the trailer, uh, you, you obviously see it multiple times in the trailer. And like I said, it looked really nice. I just wish that anything on it moved. Like the eyes didn't even move. Uh, the mouth, nothing, nothing about it moved. It looked like it was a hard plastic uh, mask, which is a little disappointing. But, you know, at the same time, low budget indie film for what they gave us. I thought they did a pretty good job. What would you guys think of the clown? Uh, I couldn't have said it better. Um, absolutely impeccable design. I love the idea that 
it was setting it up as some kind of strange morality guardian, mm-hmm. you know, for the small town. Like that was why you were seeing it and why it was around. But yeah, it. The more you see it, the more it looks like a ma- like a mask. Yeah. And that it's not like you know, not like the kind of mask where okay, you know, it was they were trying to make it imply that it was actually a being that looked like that. But mm-hmm. the mask, they were so cheap that they couldn't afford a good mask to move. It looked more like a man wearing a mask, rather. Like that, like it was... Yeah. Like, like it was not different. a rubber mask, but like, like one of those hard, rigid ones, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, when you first look at it, it's it looks kind of like it, they're trying to make it imply that that's just the way the creature looks, mm-hmm. but they were just too cheap to afford a good mask. But yeah, <laughs> the more you look at it, the more it looks more like it's just a person wearing a mask. Yeah, they should. I, I don't think they should have given the clown as much airtime as he got, because like I said, I thought the design was really cool. Um, I thought, you know, uh, the close up shots, the you know, the way the eyes look, the teeth, everything about it was cool. But if you leave it on screen for too long, it just becomes plainly obvious that it's a stiff, static, just a hard mask. You know, there's yeah. no. Like I said, no articulation, uh, no nothing, which is really too bad. Literally, just make the eyes move. If they literally just could have made the pupils move side to side, up and down, it would have been vastly better. Um, At least it would have been creepier and it would have been more convincing to the viewer that this is an actual supernatural being and not just some guy in a mask, like Don said. Yep, a little bit of overexposure going on. I think they were trying to, like, you know, maybe do the... The Sam Sackhead, yeah, <laughs> whatever people refer to him to as Trick or Treat. But the the beauty in Trick or Treat is for most of the movie when he would show up, he'd just kind of be like a casual observer, or you'd catch like a shot of him, kind of you know just watching off in the distance or something. But they kept it to a minimum until it actually got to the story that involved mm-hmm. him more. And most but, of yeah. his, most of the shots are actually from a distance because he's on the other side of the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Early on, yes. Yeah, uh, early, yeah. Yeah. Early shots of him, you know, they're kind to it. You know, you see him in the dis. He's there. He's in the distance, but he's in the distance. You don't get the, the long, lingering close-ups like we do here. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. He. It's like they in Trick or Treat. They want you to know he's around, but that's it. Where in this one, it's like. It it feels like they're going for something bigger, and it's a question whether that's fully realized or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, let's see. The next segment, uh, another quickie morality tale, is a, a, a segment about uh, an older gentleman lives by himself. Very reminiscent of the episode of Monsters, the Halloween episode of Monsters. Just an older guy living by himself who hates Halloween but he's still giving away candy. Whereas in the monsters segment, it might've been tales from the dark side, actually, but but whichever segment it was um, in that segment, uh, basically um, the guy just is, he's pranking kids. He's just pranking them. He's scaring them. Um, You know, he's offering candy that he doesn't actually have stuff like that, like harmless pranks here. 
this guy's putting razor blades and candy bars. He's putting he's putting razor blades and cupcakes. He's actually using syringes and putting bleach inside of other candy bars or or maybe it wasn't bleach, maybe it was alcohol, but he had a bottle of of a clear liquid next to him with a pair of syringes. Um we don't actually physically see him doing it, but we obviously see what he's planning. Um, so basically, he's just giving out all all these laced candies with nasty chemicals or razor blades in it. And he looks like just a scraggly old man, just a hateful old shit that nobody likes in the neighborhood. At one point, he uh, he gives away his first cupcake uh, to a little girl. He basically asks the girl, oh, would you like a cupcake? And she's like, well, I, uh, my mom likes cupcakes. So the old man gives the girl a cupcake to take home to her mom, of course, a cupcake with a giant razor blade in it. Uh, fortunately for the little girl, as she's leaving the old guy's house, our old boy, the clown, shows up and uh, actually makes the girl trip and drop the cupcake. Obviously, she's sad about it, but little does she know that evil clown just saved her damn life or her mother's life, one or the other. And then we see the clown kind of approach the guy's house Um he does a gag with a jack in the box and the honest to God truth. I don't remember how the old guy gets dispatched. Do you guys remember? Uh, I'm trying to think too. Cause I, I, he had the, uh, the jack in the box and then the jack in the box spit like some kind of liquid at the guy. Yeah. Which you think is acid, but then the guy, cause we, we kind of hear a sizzling sound effect. But then he goes to wash his face and he realizes there's nothing there. It was in his imagination or whatever. Or the clown made him think that he attacked them. But man, I for the life of me, I don't remember how it ended. You remember? Like- I remember. The, the one thing I remember, he comes out to confront him and the clown is there holding it. And he He's holding the jack-o'-lantern and he does it again and it pops up and scares him. So he grabs the shotgun and starts to shoot the clown, but the clown's unaffected by the shots. Right. But then at that point, yeah, I'm totally, I don't remember. <laughs> it's such a remarkable segment. None of yeah. us could remember it. <laughs> I mean, other than I'm pretty sure the clown directly had to do with his murder, but other than that, I can't Yeah, remember. exactly. Like everybody, everybody in the, everybody in the movie that runs into that clown basically is dispatched in some terrible way. Everybody who runs into the guy in the devil mask is actually taken. We're made to think that they're being killed, but that sets up a, a, a segment <laughs> later on, which I, I'm not, we're not quite there yet, but yeah. So I, I, we can effectively say that the clown legitimately is supernatural. It's not a guy in a mask. And he obviously has some kind of powers that he's uh, taking these, wiping these people out. Um, so that's the end of that segment. Sorry folks that none of us could remember how the old man meets his end, but yeah, it's not a very remarkable segment. Um, the next segment after that is another quickie. Uh, this time we're at a Halloween party. We see uh, a couple of attractive girls hanging out. One of the girls is a, a attractive brunette who is approached. Um, basically, they're playing like the kind of games that we played in high school, like seven minutes in heaven um, or, you know, spin the bottle, you know, stupid shit like that. But these are all like college aged adults that <laughs> yeah. are doing this. So it's kind of weird. So the segment actually starts out with these two people. 
um, in the closet playing seven minutes in heaven, but they both hate each other. They, they or at least the girl hates the guy. She has like no interest in him. Apparently they had a relationship years earlier and you know, he's a total scumbag and he still is a pretty much a scumbag. It's how they set up the character. He ends up, uh, she ends up leaving the party, but then somehow, uh, he chases her. Um, Man, this is what's weird, because the brunette ends up getting a ride from the rideshare Dracula guy. He ends up <laughs> he ends up dropping her off at a house that's not her house. Um, it, it's almost like he's taking advantage of drunk people and taking them somewhere um, because he drops her off. Uh, when the brunette gets out of the car, she sees another blonde puking on the lawn, on the front lawn. And... Then the brunette realizes, wait a minute, this isn't my house. I'm not home. I don't, you know, and she goes into the house and sees people uh, robbing it. And one of the people robbing it is the asshole that she was in the closet with. Um, she, sneak, she sneaks into the house. I'm not sure if she's trying to call for someone because of the girl puking in the front. And, of course, the, the three or four guys that are robbing the house. Um, but he ends up confronting her. He ends up uh, chasing her through a children's play yard, like a playground area. And eventually, uh, basically, he ends up getting hung on the swing. But it almost looks like he did it to himself. Like the effect that they used isn't very convincing to make it seem like some kind of supernatural um, entity did it. It literally looked like he just grabbed the rope, wrapped it around his own neck, and then the girl, the brunette who was on the ground, basically uh, jumps. Oh, on the you guy. mean the chains from the swing? Yeah, the, the yeah. swing, the chain swing. Yeah. Yeah. It. I. I was confused when I saw that too, because I was like, "Am I missing?" Like, I was like, "Is there some supernatural force that's a part of the story that I'm not realizing?" Because like, he literally looks like he wrapped a chain around his own neck and then obviously when she notices it and she kind of adds her weight to it to kind yep. of like choke or help strangle him that makes sense but the initial part where he gets wrapped up and i was like wait a minute he he did that himself didn't he what the hell is going on here exactly and uh and then our clown kind of shows up and what does he do to him he he, uh, cut, he dismembers him right he, he, yeah, it, could, it cuts it into pieces because you yeah. see like his body just like stacked. You see his like dis, dismembered body just like stacked to pieces. Oh, and then his head is up on the slide. He puts the head yeah. up at the top of the slide. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there, there's another quickie morality tale. Uh, the theme of this movie seems to be don't do bad shit on Halloween. <laughs> and we'll be I guess that's kind of the theme of trick or treat, too, when you think about it. So maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we should all just be good on Halloween from now on. Hmm. Yeah, stay anyway. excited and watch more movies. Exactly. Uh, so now the next segment um, is kind of a segment within a segment because it kind of leads into the second to last segment. So basically what we get is we see a drug dealer. We see a guy. He's going from party to party, location to location, just giving drugs away, basically telling people, you know, here's a couple on the house. First ones are free. Call me if you need more. You know, he's basically setting up his future business. So he's giving away all these drugs. Um they don't seem to be bad drugs, like no one is dying. It doesn't seem like anybody's having adverse reactions. Uh, uh, they just He just goes around and he's just giving drugs away. That's literally his crime, is that he was giving away acid and ecstasy and just like random pills, uh, you know, throughout the different parties that he stopped at. 
Then he ends up going to a public bathroom. While in the public bathroom, uh, someone starts messing with them, starts uh, kicking at the door, uh, fucking with the lights, things like that. And then the guy kind of looks through the crack in the toilet stall door and sees a guy wearing a devil mask. Obviously, as the viewer, we see this and we're like, oh, it's another clown guy. It's another like, you know, supernatural entity who's also a guardian of Halloween, if you will. So basically, he um, the, the, the devil guy, the guy in the devil mask uh, pretends to walk out of the bathroom when our drug dealer in the toilet stall thinks that he's left. He reaches underneath the stall door to get his phone that he had dropped outside the bathroom stall, of course. And as he does, uh, the devil guy turns out to still be there and he slashes at his hand with a knife, cuts his hand open pretty well. And then ends up uh, taking the guy. Um, I mean, obviously, we think that he kills him because the, uh, he puts his hands around his head. And then we see what we think is like a splash of blood against the wall. Um, but as the rest of the segment shows us, it, they were setting this character up for something. Um, at this point, the drug dealer segment kind of sort of ends. And then we go to another what we think is another segment where we're now introduced to the Dracula guy, the guy in the Dracula costume. As Mike mentioned earlier, he is a rideshare driver, you know, like an Uber driver, uh, giving away free rides on Halloween night. But obviously, once we find out more about him, we understand why he's giving free rides on Halloween night. Uh, basically, we get a scene with him where he gives a ride to some guy who doesn't give a shit about Halloween. Just, you know, your, your basic character that, you know, thinks Halloween is childish and actually makes fun of the Uber driver, the rideshare driver, because he's in a Dracula costume. Obviously, the, the driver gets offended, says he doesn't like the way that he's that the that the rider is talking to him. And he literally just tells him to get out of his car, drops him off in the middle of nowhere. The guy doesn't know where he is. Then we see him get taken by some people. We're not sure who, but. Like they get taken and then suddenly we're introduced to Dracula's friends, if you will. I call him Dracula. I'm sure the character had a name, but since he was dressed like Dracula, um, he kind of looked like Sven Gulli a little bit, but <laughs> Sven Gulli Dracula. Um, so anyway, this this character ends up meeting up with some of his friends later. And as it turns out, they are rounding up people. They're actually collecting people and they're taking them out into the middle of an empty field. There's a large field just outside of New Salem. Uh, basically, all the people that have been kidnapped are in their underwear. There are a couple of women there as well. It's mostly men, but a couple of women. But if you look carefully, you'll see characters that you recognize in the bunch. Like you'll see the drug dealer. Uh, you'll see the brunette girl who survived um, the guy who got himself hung on the swing set. Uh, you'll see very, you'll see people from the pimp party. I completely skipped over the pimp party. At one point in the movie, the Dracula guy gives a prostitute a drive back, a, a ride back to her pimp. And he actually asks them, I've never met a pimp before. Can I meet him? They go in to meet him. Obviously the pimp is all offended that this guy who has nothing to do with this business is in here. But then the guy pulls out a gun and literally just mows down everybody at the party except for the main pimp the, the and the girl. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't think he took the black girl, right? Or did he end up killing her? I don't remember. No, I, I, think, he, I think she's there because she was the girl. 
Because we she see was, she was the she was the, one of the she was the, the we see several girls in yeah. the field. Yep. But there's one that we focus on during the chase that's about to happen, and that's her, I think. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so as it turns out, we have this group of three or four friends, uh, you know, the Dracula is one of them, uh, along with, um, I mentioned earlier, Derek Russo, the guy who was in the, uh, creep show holiday special, the big scary looking guy. I mean, he's very obvious. The guy looks like he's like six foot 10 and built like a tank. Um, so basically that group of people are, they're kidnapping people. What they do, they take them all out into a field. They strip them all down to their underwear. They tie their hands, but they do not tie their feet. And then they put carved pumpkins over their head. Uh, the pumpkins are carved, so they do have some vision, but obviously nothing on the periphery and, you know, a, a lot of obstructed view while the pumpkin is on their head. Suddenly, we hear in the background one of their friends uh, named Lenny having some kind of weird reaction in the car. Like, it sounds like he's getting sick or potentially at first I thought he was turning into a werewolf. It kind of seemed like something like that. Um, and, and then the other three guys in the group tell all the kidnapped people, OK, run. You know, this is your only opportunity to potentially uh, survive. You're all shitty people. You all deserve to die, but we're still going to give you one final chance to survive. So run. And if you survive, good on you. You get to live the rest of your life. Um, basically, all the all the people that were kidnapped start running in different directions. We start hearing growling. Uh, we start hearing the flapping of wings in the air. And then suddenly we see Lenny. And uh, this was one of my favorite parts of the movie as far as like my favorite actual moment of the film when Lenny first lands and we see this badass full figure, um, very bat like vampire. I call him Vampire Lenny. I guess you could make the argument that it wasn't a vampire, that it was something else. But I mean, he's a gigantic monster with big wings. I mean, like I said, he flies. Um Probably one of the most one of the more impressive creatures in the movie, uh, way more impressive than the clown, because at least Lenny's face, you know, can articulate um, to the point where he actually speaks at one point, which is kind of funny. Um, and then at another point, which this was odd, a random kid shows up and gives vampire Lenny a candy bar. Did you guys understand that scene? <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I yeah, all I could think of was like uh does the kid just think it's a costume or something? So he's not Obviously. scared. <laughs> but yeah, man. And then Lenny just taking the candy bar. That's another thing. You don't think about a big old vampire like creature like that eating candy, but yeah, mm -hmm. he takes the candy bar. He nods in thanks and walks away. I'm like, Oh, I, they're either just showing us that Lenny doesn't kill kids or that maybe Lenny respects people who respect Halloween. Cause like I said, all the people that were kidnapped were people that were, you know, disrespecting the holiday, uh, you know, potentially the guy that was giving away candy might have been in that group. I don't think so. I think uh, clown guy took care of him. But like I said, uh, you know, we're seeing some of the shitty people from earlier in the film. And basically Lenny is just picking them off out of the sky as they're all running like rabbits uh, in different directions. And he's literally just picking them off, ripping their heads off, ripping off limbs biting chunks out of their chest. I mean, it, it, like I said, it's one of the more impressive sequences in the movie. It's all practical effects. 
Um, e- even the flying Lenny, I think, is practical. I think there was one CG shot of him just landing, but otherwise, um, Lenny's vampire Lenny is all practical, so that was pretty impressive. And then, um, basically, once Lenny thinks that he's done with all of his victims, as it turns out, one person did escape uh, with the pumpkin on his head, still in his underwear. Um, We actually see him later in the film still running around tied up with his hands tied up and the pumpkin on his head. Um, And yeah, and that is our vampire Lenny segment, which probably, like I said, it's, it's weird as far as the placement in this movie. Like, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out what Lenny's place is in this whole thing, you know, because Lenny is obviously a person. They show him drunk earlier in the film and then he turns into this creature. And then after he has his fill and he turns back to human, they're all sitting around joking. <laughs> like Lenny's like, oh, did I get them all? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, dude, you got them all. And they're all just drinking beer and having a good time after Lenny just decimated about a dozen people. So I think for whatever it's worth, the unintentional humor there worked for me. I mildly liked that segment. Probably I, I, I think the final segment of the movie is probably my favorite just because of the way it wraps everything up. But this one is, a, for me at least, was mildly enjoyable. Um, it does kind of drastically change the tone of the film, because like like we've been saying, the first half of the movie is all morality tales. And you can still kind of say this one's a morality tale too, except the people that Lenny is killing aren't necessarily people that deserve murder. They just are disrespecting the holiday. Like I said, there was the guy in the rideshare car who just said, you know, Halloween is stupid and it's only for kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, take whatever theme from that segment you will, because I still am not sure what to think of it. All right. And then this leads us into our final segment, which as we said earlier, kind of wraps into the wraparound or kind of melds into the wraparound to give us one overall finale for the movie. And basically what we get is, uh, is the story of a haunted house that burned down years ago in new Salem, um, probably about 15 or so years ago. And basically what happens is first they tell the tale. And what the tale is, is that this guy, this kid named Jacob, uh, who real who supposedly hated Halloween broke into this house uh, with the intention of like robbing the place, but then just basically ended up setting it on fire, you know, in a hateful act and just basically disappearing. Like no one ever saw him again. Um, the final segment starts as a paranormal investigation where there is now a, uh, a team of paranormal researchers and they're investigating this house, the house that, caught on fire years earlier and, you know, supposedly killed a uh, poor young Jacob. But like I said, the story is, is that he started the fire maliciously and that, you know, karma kind of got him. But as we're going through this investigation, uh, the one person, I guess the empath of the group, uh, the one who can actually sense activity and things like that, she actually has like a, uh, like a Lorraine Warren moment in the Conjuring movies where sometimes Lorraine will picture herself in a scene uh, from the past. They did it Mm -hmm. with the Amityville uh, intro for part two. They do it in part three with the forest scene. Um, They basically do something like that where um, 
she is basically she's transported back to that day, the day of the fire. And then the real story is, as it's revealed to us, uh, there were three friends. Uh, well, two friends and then one like oddball who wasn't really a friend of the other two. He was kind of like a younger kid that was picked on in the neighborhood. They called him a nerd. Uh, basically, what had actually happened was the two kids uh, dared this kid to break into the house and steal a comic book. They basically told him that, and this house was nice. It was like, you know, before the fire, it was like a really nice mansion, a uh, really nice looking mansion. Uh, basically, they tell him that there's comic books in the basement that are worth a lot of money. And they tell him, if you get in, if you get in the house, get in the basement and steal some of those comic books, uh, we'll let you hang out with us, you know, uh, for the rest of high school or whatever the case may be. Um, obviously, Jacob is um, kind of standoffish. He's tentative at first, but does eventually relent and agree to break into the house. Um, Paul, uh, well, uh, one of the kids whose name is Paul, think about that, uh, gives Jacob his lighter, his Zippo lighter, which actually has his name Paul on it. And he goes into the house, um, but he doesn't find anything of any value or doesn't even really ever make it to the basement. Basically, um, something traps him in the house. Uh, He's he's basically looking through the house for valuable things. At one point, he gets scared by something and he drops Paul's lighter. Um, he drops the lighter on a pile of books and other papers. So obviously a fire starts out just right away, starts roaring out of nowhere. Uh, Jacob gets scared and he runs back to the front door of the house where he entered. But the door is now locked. He can't get out. He looks out the window and it turns out that the two kids who dared him to go in the house have locked him in the house. He is trapped inside the house. Unbeknownst to the two guys outside, the house is on fire. They're unaware of this. So this, this wasn't necessarily, you know, a murder plot uh, so much as a prank gone wrong. Once the two guys outside realize the house is on fire, it's too late. Uh, the house is pretty much engulfed in flame. And at this point, Jacob is long gone. And like I said, during this entire sequence, the paranormal researcher, the main researcher from the group in present day is right there with Jacob experiencing all this. Jacob doesn't see her, obviously, but she sees Jacob. She's trying to talk to him. At one point, Jason tries or Jacob. Excuse me. I keep saying Jason. Jacob tries to run upstairs, but she actually grabs his legs and we get a cool shot of something dragging Jason back down the stairs. But we're, we're getting his POV, so he doesn't see uh, the paranormal researcher. We, as the movie audience, see her pulling him back down the stairs. Um, but then in present day, um, the rest of her team is able to get into the house and they end up pulling the paranormal researcher out of the house in present day. While they're pulling her out in present day, we see her still uh, in the past with Jacob trying to save him. But uh, an invisible force is basically pulling her out of the house. Like I said, Jacob doesn't see any of this. Um, you know, he's experiencing it, you know, firsthand the way it occurred. Um, and then we get our reveal of the of how this ties into the wraparound. Uh, do you remember that that I said one of the kids was named Paul? Well, uh, if you've been paying attention, then you know that Chili Billy's engineer is named Paul, played by Zach Galligan. Yes, 
Chili Billy and Paul, the two guys at the radio station who've been telling us stories this whole movie, are the two guys that are responsible for the death of Jacob. And at the end of the the, the film basically ends with um, Chili Billy getting a phone call at the radio station. And it's the daughter of the paranormal researcher. And she basically is calling to tell him, I finally figured out what happened. I knew that the story that you've been telling on the air for the last 15 years was bullshit. And now I know and I have proof who's responsible for Jacob's death. And I forget the exact line that she speaks, but she basically you know, says something that lets Chili Billy know you're responsible for this. And then I, if I remember correctly, um, wait, are you sure? Because I, it lets him go. It lets Chili Billy go. It goes out. Right. It kills Paul. Paul. Um, well, don't forget, Paul was the one who gave him the lighter. I, I, to me, they're both equally responsible for Jacob's death. I mean, because they locked the door behind him. Even if Chili, even if Billy specifically was the one who locked the door, I don't think one should be punished any more than the other. But yeah, you're right. Um, uh, the radio station basically catches on fire. Uh, just just as we're watching the story of Jacob dying in the fire, a fire starts in present day at the radio station. Uh, the fire takes Paul, but Billy is able to escape the radio station. And then we get um, just like a silly narration, a female voice giving us like a just a narration about respecting the holiday and, you know, being good to people and blah, 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 blah. More morality tale stuff. And that's Big Candy 2021. Technically 2020, but it made festival runs last year. Um, so it is for, for our purposes, it is a 2021 film. And I have to mention, because you waited the entire episode, you missed the necromantic girl in the morgue. Oh, God, we, skipped, we skipped the necrophilia. How the hell can I do that? I was waiting for you to correct yourself, and you never did. Yeah, Don's favorite part that he mentioned. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people's favorite part, probably, because mm-hmm. that girl's attractive. So, yeah, basically somewhere between, like... Yeah, it's the, around the, the part... Yeah, you, it's around before, where the drug dealer gets it. It's around... Yeah. The, it's between the drug dealer and it's between the, the girl investigating the guy at the robbery. Yeah. This one's a weird one because uh, basically what we get is we get a sexy nurse. Uh, she's she's not actually a nurse. It's Halloween. She's dressed as a sexy nurse. Um, she's at a party trying to get with a particular guy. That guy doesn't seem to be very interested. She ends up getting a call from her boss asking her to come in. Uh, she obviously is hesitant but goes ahead and says, fuck it. I, I'm not doing anything at this party anyway. I might as well go make some money. Uh, she goes to work and it actually turns out she's a mortician. She works in a morgue and apparently she's there to prep bodies for funeral, you know, um, all, all the different, you know, get the blood out, blah, 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 everything that they have to do to prepare the body for funeral. Uh, she starts looking through some of the, um, the chambers, uh, some of the refrigerator doors that have bodies in them, the sliding, uh, you know, beds, whatever, um, And she starts looking at some of the bodies and considering the shape of some of them, she just decides, nah, I'm not doing that one. Uh, She goes to another one and decides, nah, I'm not doing that one either. She basically reads the toe tag and finds out, you know, what exactly she's going to need to do. And she's like, nah, I'm not going to do that one either. Um, But there's already a body out on a gurney right there in the middle of the room. So she decides, okay, well, let me check this one out. Uh, She pulls the sheet off of them. 
And it's a very attractive dude. Just, uh, you know, your basic attractive white dude, um, obviously dead. <laughs> um, she, like I said, she was at the same party that the drug dealer was at. And she does have some of the drugs that he had given her for free. And she ends up uh, she ends up bringing a bottle of vodka with her to work and a couple of hits of acid. And we actually see her uh, drop one of the tabs of acid. It's blotter paper, um, not liquid acid. But she drops the piece of acid, uh, continues drinking her vodka. And apparently that combination just gets her so horny that she starts talking to the corpse like it's a living person. You know, starts talking like, like she's flirting with them, basically. Suddenly, she actually mounts the corpse uh, and starts kind of mimicking sex because the corpse, at least not visible to us as the audience, doesn't look like it has an erection. So I don't know how the hell she's actually going to have sex with it unless she's like dry humping it or whatever. But basically, yeah, she uh, I guess with the combination of vodka and acid, you know, she she kind of mimics sex with the corpse. She's riding it, if you will. She's kissing it. She's actually putting her lips on on the <laughs> chest of the body, which, ugh, that's just... I was wondering gross. if she had, like, a special Viagra for the dead version or yeah. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if she was going to pull a necromantic, too, and, like, put a pipe between his legs or something. Sorry for that image, folks. <laughs> necromantic isn't a movie that uh, normal people should discuss, just sickos like us. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Uh, so like I said, she mimics having sex with this guy. Mind you, this is a very attractive girl, potentially the most attractive girl in the film. I, I would probably be comfortable saying that. Uh, just a really cute girl, nice body, dressed as a sexy nurse. And in basically as she's coming to a climax with her little simulated sex that she's having with the corpse, the corpse, the corpse's hands start to rise. And actually, like, the, the corpse grabs her tits, which instantly freaks her out. She jumps off the body. Uh, the body sits up. He basically does an undertaker, just sits right straight up, turns his head and looks right at her. And that starts the little bit of a chase sequence that we get. She's running around the morgue trying to get away um, from the the perceived dead body that's chasing her. At this point, obviously, we're all aware that she's on acid. So as a viewer, I'm not 100% sure if anything is even happening here or if this is all in her head. Um, we do kind of kind of sort of get an answer later. Um, but let me get to that in a little bit. Uh, basically, she ends up hiding in one of the walk-in freezers that has bodies in it. And of course, you know, we get a scene very reminiscent of Linnea Quigley's death in Return of the Living Dead where, you know, all the dead bodies come out and just kind of grab her. In this one, it's the same thing. All the bodies that are wrapped in plastic in the freezer come to life, and they all, you know, they all got blood coming out of their mouth, and they all, you know, look all decrepit, and they basically attack her. But we don't really see the end of the attack. What we do get, though, is later in the film, at the end of the movie, during the narration that I was talking about, uh, we actually see a shot of her still in that room with all the bodies. Obviously, all the bodies are on the ground, not moving. They're back to their original position. But she's kind of comatose, just sitting there. Um, so I guess she technically does survive the movie, but her mind doesn't seem like it survived the movie because she's like, like I said, she's just sitting in the room catatonic, just staring into nothing, Um so obviously, you know, whatever happened to her, it was enough to kind of break her psyche. So, you know, but at least she lives <laughs> for whatever yeah. that's. 
Uh, but yeah, yeah. God, very sorry about that, Don. How the hell can I skip necrophilia? I mean, when it happened, I literally was like, shit, I've been drunk and tripping on acid before, but I still never had the desire to fuck a dead corpse. <laughs> That's a yeah, special drug addict. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, I was waiting for you to come back to it because you were skipping around the order and then you got to yeah, the yeah, last two and I was like, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget, because uh, I actually almost forgot the, uh, what do you call it, the segment with the the playground, with the brunette at the party, and then, you know, the guy in the, oh, by the way, what yeah, I a think great, we all did. I think we all did, because I don't think any of us mentioned it. Uh, yeah, like I said, I just wanted to, since I was trying really hard not to forget that segment, I ended up forgetting the necrophilia, so yeah, there you go, um, but yeah, um, interesting movie, I mean, like I said, if you're a hardcore fan of Halloween horror anthology films, that's the only way I, I would recommend this movie. I, I probably wouldn't recommend this movie to general horror fans. Um, but if you're like me and you're a, an anthology apologist, then by all means, check it out. Um, you know, there's some positive stuff to take out of it. Like I said, I like Vampire Lenny. I thought he looked cool. I do like the way the clown looks. I just wish... There was some kind of articulation to the face. Um, the hands, too. The clown's hands kind of looked goofy at times. At, there were some scenes where it looked really cool, almost like tendrils. Uh, but then there were other scenes where it was very obvious the actor was just wearing gloves because the, the fingers would, like, bend back really quick. <laughs> you, you don't notice it unless you're really looking for it. I, I noticed it on my second watch, so, yeah. Um, but anyway, like I said, a very flawed anthology with some positives to take out of it. Um, but I still think people should watch it because, like I said, the reviews that I've been seeing are all over the place. Some people love it. Some people hate it. So I I'm not going to sit here and say definitively that you'll love it or hate it. But I will say I, I, I would still watch it. I mean, it is a little long. It's an hour and 45 and it's expensive. I would not recommend paying $6.99, I would say wait for it to get cheaper or just wait for it to hit a streaming platform later on. Uh, yeah, definitely not worth 7 bucks right now. Nope. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't uh, agree with anything. I could disagree or add anything to what you just said, so. Yeah. yeah I second every single I second every single word he just uttered. Yeah, I'd say if you're if you're building up a list of like new Halloween themed movies for this season. This could be part of the list. Do not make it your feature presentation by Whoa. any means. Yeah. <laughs> like get this one out of the way at the beginning and that way it can be an upward trajectory. <laughs> in fact, I wouldn't even watch it in October. I would watch it like at the end of September as a prep for October. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a, as an appetizer for what's to come, I would probably actually do suggest that. Yeah. Not necessarily put it in like a 31 for 31 kind of a deal, but like around the 26th or 27th, just as like, oh, hey, you know, might as well get like, you know, an early taste of what's to come. This is probably a pretty good way to go. If you don't mind, if you if you've already done all the expected stuff and you want to save the, you know, actual 31 for 31 for new watches, uh, go ahead and do it then. But yeah, it don't make this a priority yeah definitely not must watch viewing by any stretch <laughs> agreed um ah okay yeah well we so. talked about that longer than i thought we would 
Well, I'll give you credit for that. <laughs> credit or blame, one or the other. <laughs> All right, Venom, where can people hear you? All right, so what do we got? Um, I On the last show, I announced uh, Don and myself's new uh, podcasting venture. We did successfully record episode one of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. Uh, we basically, you know, just had a general discussion to start the show on our history with uh, the genre. And then our feature review was of the original 1933 King Kong. We had a nice lively discussion about that. Um, that episode will probably be out sometime next week. Uh, if you're subscribed to No More Room in Hell, I assume you will also get that episode. So look out for that. Uh, that also has uh, Mr. Derek B. from the main show, No More Room in Hell, also from Cinema Attack, joining us there. So check that out. Um, it's Not Horror Okay. Our latest episode is still Too Fast, Too Furious. We're probably going to record one more episode before the end of September and then take October off. Uh, since the name of our show is It's Not Horror, it makes sense to take October off so that we can all get to our horror uh, festivities that we have to do. So yeah, we'll be taking October off and we'll be back in November for some new schlocky film that I've never heard of. So check out, check that out. Um, what else do we have on, of course, the main show episode 36 is still the latest episode of the main show. Those are two movies from my uh, year of birth, 1970. That is the Dunwich horror and the Wizard of Gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis's The Wizard of Gore, um, which I absolutely love. I love Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. So please check out that episode, episode 36. All of those are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com. All right, Don, what do you got? All right. So uh, in addition to the uh, aforementioned Creature Comforts, which was a absolute blast, um, I think, Venom, you missed one. We are uh, scheduled to come back with Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space this weekend. Um, oh, the weekend you're... <laughs> yeah, the weekend you're recording this, so again, you forgot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that one, uh, we should record that by uh, the end of the weekend, so uh, look for that one soon on uh, Kill the Cast or the Legion podcast feed. Um, it'll show up there. Uh the only other thing for me is uh, the show I mentioned last week with uh, my uh, guest appearance on uh, Phantom Galaxy, where I will be looking at Indonesian horror. Um, apparently, there was a slight mix-up with the uh, running or with the uh, list I gave last week. Um, we're not going to be doing modern Indonesian horror. That was um, the list that I read was a uh, talking points list. That was not the actual running list. The actual running list we're going to be doing is old school Indonesian horror. So we're going to be looking at Mystics in Bali. We're going to be looking at uh, films like uh, the Queen of Black Magic, the original version. Yes. Uh, we're going to be looking at the original Satan Slaves Ooh. and uh, a, couple, a couple of other films that I'm going to leave as a surprise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing uh, the old school stuff, not the modern stuff. The modern stuff was a talking point. So that was uh, my mistake for not reading the for not reading the a list ahead of time because uh the, when i read off the list i was looking at it live so i just looked at scrolled through the the chat and just saw the list and was like oh yeah that's 
the <laughs> modern stuff. So yeah, the, the modern stuff is just a talking point. The feature of the show is going to be uh, old school classic Indonesian horror. So my mistake on that. <laughs> but uh, just wanted to correct that. Um, that one, um, I'll have more information next week because it will be recorded um, between now and when we come back next week. So I'll have more info on that. But uh, other than that, that's uh, all I got. Well, everybody likes surprises, Dawn, so we'll be looking forward to that for sure. <laughs> um, as far as I go, pretty much just regular shows, pumping them out. Um, I think, what, the next episode of No More Room in Hell is coming up? Yeah, yeah, uh, this weekend. Yep, looks like we're on board to get another one out in September, so I know that was our goal is to mm-hmm. get two, so as long as nothing comes up, we should be able to complete that and then you know we'll be hitting the october home stretch hopefully you know a fun october to look forward to but you know with that there's still a couple weeks let's see we got what two more episodes of this for september i believe because whatever's coming out this actually one one because yeah next friday is the first so with that said, is there a theatrical release this week? I can't remember. I thought there was one more in September, but maybe thought, I'm wrong on that. Um, shit, where's my phone? Man, I can't find my phone. Uh, I thought there was another like final week of September, like a September. Oh, no, but you said it's October 1st, next, next Friday. Next Friday, yeah. And then this Friday is, what, the 25th, I guess? Um, yeah, I can't for the life of me remember anything coming out this week. Me either. Uh, I mean, we got lots of stuff on Netflix. Um, there's something inside your house. Sounds mildly interesting. Um, what else? There've been some other things that have dropped recently that look eh, mildly interesting. Uh, what didn't we want to uh, do the uh, confirmation of whether or not uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland was wild or not? Oh, right. That's available to us now. Um, I'm not hearing the greatest things, but I'm still willing to to do it if you guys are down i mean hey science yeah I, I i honestly if it's science sono i'm fine doing it on this show it doesn't have to be true horror for me science sono is disturbing as it is <laughs> um yeah without... i thought the, i thought that's what i'm saying i thought that one was out um there's nothing in the house um i know that one is out um what was the the other one the family friendly one uh night books night books is out on netflix yep yeah that, that i thought that one I'll be checking that out this week with the wife, regardless. That looks like something she might enjoy. So I'll let you know what that what, what that's all about when I check it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing any horror releases Friday. So, yeah, we could definitely find something. Oh, yeah, there's there's a couple on Netflix that just dropped. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's like half the new releases in the last month of Shutter I haven't even seen yet. Yeah, so that too. There's so many. There's there's lots of stuff, so we'll figure it out and be back next week with a new episode. But uh, for now, that's going to wrap it up here at Fresh Cuts. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Let's say goodnight to the listeners. Adios, trick-or-treaters. Go get that candy. Later. Avoid clowns at all costs. Well, that's uh, you don't need October for that. <laughs> Just only for that. But yeah, please. Chocolate.